Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It is Thursday, let's see here, September 8th, 2022. So glad that you have jumped on board here with us for Romans Rewind. I'm Paul Gilbert. I'm one of the members of the pastoral team at Four Oaks Church, and we take 15, 10 minutes, 20 minutes yesterday, actually, of, of time every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, to go through a portion of God's Word. And this season, we're running concurrently with our preaching series on Sunday mornings um, on the Book of Romans, hence Romans Rewind. Now, this week, we are honing in on the end of Romans chapter 11, where Paul has been talking to us about the future of ethnic Israel. Remember, that's the whole context of Romans 9 through 11, what's happened to the, what's happened to the Jews, have they rejected their own Messiah? Have the purposes of, of God failed? And Paul's point in Romans 9 through 11 is to say, absolutely not. God's purposes have not failed. In fact, God's raising up a remnant of ethnic Jews in every generation, but he's also preparing the church for a time where there's going to be a massive influx of ethnic Jews um, sometime before the return of Christ. And these will be, this will be a, almost a corporate salvation, not each and every single Jew necessarily, but the great mass of the Jewish people will come into the church through faith in Christ. Now, that naturally raises a whole host of issues, issues like how are we to view what's happening currently in the nation state of Israel? How are we, how are we to view that? And the promises that God made to them um, regarding the land and and such things as this, and and we've been uh, wading into that. So so yesterday, um, we we tried to kind of set a framework um, in place uh, using um, a sermon that John Piper had preached on this particular issue to sort of draw begin to draw out some implications. And don't want to try to do yesterday's devotional today. That's why you got to go back and listen to yesterday's devotional. But, but probably the salient point that we, that we came away from yesterday is that all of the Old Testament promises that were made to Israel were part and parcel of the conditions on or conditioned on the covenantal faithfulness of the Israelite people. And that when Paul tells us in Romans 9 that not all Israel is Israel, he's, he's, he's pointing to the fact that it is only the covenant-keeping um, ethnic Jews who these promises are promised to, um, and specifically those who've placed their faith in Christ. In other words, just because someone is born a Jew um, or is an ethnic Jew, um, doesn't mean that they can have a divine claim on all the promises of the Old Testament when, in fact, they are now cut off from God, from Christ, and are not faithfully obeying the covenant. And the salient verse for us here is Romans eleven twenty eight. 28. Let me read it again. As regards the gospel, they, ethnic Jews, are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. And, and th there's, there's the two points. There's the tension point, right? Right now, predominantly, most of ethnic Israel is unfaithful to its covenant. It's rejected its own Messiah. And in that way, they are enemies of God. But 
God still has a plan. Here's the other side of that for the ethnic Jews because of the covenant that he has made with Abraham. So what does that mean for now? So I want to I want to continue this discussion by by kind of going upstream a little bit and talking about the differences in the way the the two dominant schools of interpretation approach this issue and that would be the dispensational position and then the covenant position. John Piper would be more of the covenant position versus the dispensational position. Now, those are whole schools of theology in and of themselves, and we don't have time to unpack them in detail. Um, but just to say this, there are faithful Christian men, women, on all ends of these spectrums about how to best understand and interpret these issues. Um, faithful men and women that I know and respect. Um, and so we're not talking about matters of orthodoxy. At the same time, we are not theological relativists, right? We don't believe that all theological positions are equally valid just because we feel like it or because we're sincere about it. No, there is a truth. And because of that, we want to understand that from the perspective of God's word. My goal in our time today is to try to give you an overview of these two theological systems of thought, their similarities and their differences, particularly as it relates to the interpretation of prophecy. And as I do that, um, I want to remind us um, that when we think about the official theological position of Four Oaks on this issue, um, our confessional statement of faith is very clear on the most important things and doesn't speak to those things which are which are more um, speculative as it relates to prophecy and end time. So let, let me read a portion of our Statement of Faith, Article 13. And these are things that we ask all of our members to affirm, okay? <laughs> Article 13 is about the restoration of all things. It says, we believe in the personal, glorious, and bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ with his holy angels, when he will exercise his role as judge and his kingdom will be consummated. In other words, Jesus is coming back visibly, bodily, and he will establish his kingdom at that time. We believe in the bodily resurrection of both the just and the unjust, the unjust to judgment and eternal consciousness, conscious punishment in hell, as our Lord himself taught, and the just to eternal blessedness in the presence of him who sits on the throne and of the Lamb, in the new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness. So in other words, heaven and hell are literal places. Um, everyone has a soul that will never die. And that soul will spend eternity in hell or in heaven. And so we're that's the second thing we affirm as a church, that, that there is a literal heaven and hell based upon the fact um, of if someone is declared just or not. And that's only on the basis of Jesus's work for them on the cross. On that day, the church will be presented faultless before God by the obedient suffering and triumph of Christ, all sin purged and its wretched effects forever banished. God will be all in all and his people will be enthralled by the immediacy of his ineffable holiness. Don't, that's a great word. And everything will be to the praise of his glorious grace. So, God gathering up all his people at the end of time, Jesus returning, 
there being judgment for faithfulness and faithlessness and a glorious eternity resurrection and resurrected bodies forever. That's what we affirm. Things that you will not see, right, in our statement of faith. Um, what about the seven years of tribulation? Um, what about the rapture? What about the land? What about this? What about that? And that's because of the, this very thing we're talking about. There is a wide berth of opinion about these things. Now, what I want to do, again, in these few minutes, is sort of give you an overview of how covenantal theology and dispensational theology approach these issues and how they kind of arrive at very different conclusions, okay? So just as a frame of reference, I said John Piper more comes from the covenantal theological perspective. The dispensational theological perspective is more typified by, and I'm, and I'm saying this as a point of reference, for what you would read in a book like The Late Great Planet Earth or read about in the Left Behind series, where there is a clear and distinct plan for ethnic Israel that involves the rapture of the church, seven years of tribulation, the Antichrist um, who will come, there will be a mark of the beast, Jesus will return at the end of these seven years. Israel will live in its land. It'll be it'll rebuild the temple. They'll reinstitute sacrifices. Jews will come into the kingdom. Christ will return and set up his reign on earth for a thousand years. Now, that has been the predominant eschatological or prophetic interpretive framework for most evangelicals over the last probably 150 years. Um, and, and it's probably the one you're most familiar with now doesn't mean it's wrong. Okay. It just means that that's been the dominant one. It doesn't mean it's right either. Okay. And, and I want to try to, to, to show how this is different than the covenantal framework. Okay. So dispensational theology essentially says that all of the old Testament promises to ethnic Israel will be fulfilled literally in a future Israel state. And of course, that pertains to the land. Okay, so when you read, for example, um, the promises made to Abraham that this promised land is going to extend, it basically says it will extend all the way from, from what is now the present-day boundary of Saudi Arabia through Egypt all the way through over to the Euphrates, which is modern-day Iraq, which is a massive swath of land. And so it believes dispensational theology would say that this will be Israel's divine right and claim, that at such time that there will be a rebuilding of the temple in, in Jerusalem, there will be a reinstitution of the sacrificial system, and all of this is preparatory for the fact that one day the nation state of Israel will come, be ushered into the kingdom um, and will come to trust and have faith in their Messiah. And the reason that, that those are conclusions is because dispensational thought looks for, again, that literal fulfillment of the promises that were made in the Old Testament will be fulfilled in a future ethnic Israel. So in that way, the Old Testament for them 
interprets the New Testament. So if you read something in the New Testament, you want to see and try to understand what the Old Testament says about that thing before you can really understand what the New Testament says about it. Now, covenantal theology will look at things differently. Covenantal theology would say, first of all, it's more the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. And that, and that while ethnic Jews, in fact, do have a future in terms of, as we talked about in Romans 11, coming to faith in Christ, the promises made to ethnic Israel are fulfilled in the New Testament church. And there is a couple of passages that covenantal theology would point to in this regard. So, for example, Romans 2.28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So there Paul says, just because you're born an ethnic Jew doesn't make you a true Jew, doesn't make you a spiritual Jew, doesn't make you a Jew who has had his or her heart transformed by the gospel. Um, we see this same thing in Galatians chapter 3. Flip over there. I know you have your Bibles. This is, a, this is kind of a Bible study. Um, of course, I'm not going to be able to find it. here. Yes, I do. I, here we are. Um, verse 7, Galatians 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In other words, Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees appealed to Jesus and said, We're, how dare you condemn us? We're sons of Abraham. And what does Jesus say? If God, not in the same context, but he, he says, if, if Abraham were your father, if God, if Abraham, let me, let me rephrase that. Abraham is our father. And what does Jesus say? God can raise up stones to praise, to praise him, right? In other words, just being a son, physical son of Abraham doesn't guarantee you anything. Um, he goes on to say, tell them, they said, Abraham is our father. And he says, well, if Abraham, if your father, if, if your father was the father of Abraham and he was your father, you would be worshiping me, right? You would be acknowledging me. So again, there's this idea that just because you're born an ethnic Jew doesn't make Abraham your spiritual father. He might be your physical father, but he's not your spiritual father. And that's why it says here in Galatians 3 um, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And in Galatians 6, it says that we are the true Israel. So covenantal theology is going to say, no, 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 no. All these promises are not going to be fulfilled in an ethnic Israel. They're going to be fulfilled in a spiritual Israel that we call the church. So there's not going to be a rebuilding of a physical temple. Why? Because the New Testament tells us very clearly, we are the temple. That temple was only pointing to the true temple, because God doesn't leave, live in a, in a temple made by hands, right? It's pointing to that time where we will be the temple of God. God will abide in us through his presence. There will not be a reinstitution of the sacrificial system. Why? 
Well, one, Hebrews says there can't be, there shouldn't be, it's obsolete. But Jesus, those things were fulfilled in Jesus. And we're looking to him, right, as the author and perfecter of our faith, as the, as the perfect sacrifice on behalf of our sins. And that's what we oftentimes see happen in the New Testament, that the New Testament writers will take, will quote, Old Testament scriptures that were intended for Israel, but they instead will apply them to the church, okay? Let me look at one more passage and then we'll pick this back up tomorrow because I know these devotionals are, are getting longer and longer. All right, so the Council of Jerusalem and the, in, the, in Acts 15, and the apostles are debating about the inclusion of the Gentiles, okay? That's what they're debating. And in the middle of all this, James quotes Amos chapter 9. And listen to what he says, Acts 9. Acts 15, verse 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Now, when Amos wrote that passage, or gave that prophecy, it was speaking about the restoration of Israel, ethnic Israel. After this, I'll return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'll rebuild its ruins and I'll restore it. Very interesting. James says, actually, that passage has its ultimate fulfillment in the church. In the fact that David, that God is gathering up his people, he's rebuilding the tent of David that has fallen, not a physical temple, but the people of God. All right. And so that's an example, again, where covenantal theology will differ than dispensational theology. So dispensational theology would see two totally separate and distinctive futures for the church and for Israel. And covenantal theology will say, no, we see the promises that there, there's one future for the people of God, whether they're ethnic Jews or Gentiles, who both have faith in Christ. Again, this does not speak to the issue of Will there be an influx of ethnic Jews at the end of time? Absolutely, Paul makes that very clear. But it does help us to understand, though, how to best interpret these things that we see in the New Testament. Now, what we're going to do tomorrow, I already have my notes kind of jotted down here. We're going to talk about how a dispensationalist would view things like the rapture, the beast, the antichrist, the mark of the beast, the tribulation. How, how a covenantal perspective would look at those things. And as we do that, just keep in mind that this is sort of the, the backdrop of how each interpretive system goes about these things. And you may say, well, Pastor Paul, does any of this matter? And I want to say the most important thing that we all affirm as believers, Jesus is returning. He's coming back to raise the living and the dead. He is coming back, right, to judge the earth. He is, um, his, his coming is sure and certain, and the church will remain, will, will reign victorious. That are, that is the most important thing that we can affirm. These other things, I think they're important to the extent, okay, that they either detract or empower us towards Jesus. 
If we spend most of our time speculating, which can oftentimes be the case for those on the dispensational side, rather than worshiping, rather than glorifying, rather than looking to Jesus, that's when we have a problem. All right, we're going to pick this back up tomorrow. Again, let Jesus Christ be the center of your interpretive grid with whatever you're talking about in the Bible. All right, let's pray. Lord, these things are weighty. They're, they're, some of them are less clear to us than others, and that's why we humbly submit everything we've been saying here. And Father, we know ultimately, though, all these things find their meaning and fulfillment in Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that through our study of your word, he would be lifted up and glorified and magnified. It's in your name that we